Welcome to the pod, everyone. Bit of a, a shout out to SGS, who uh, myself and Fletch are going to do a little bit of work with. Um, hopefully, make it the uh, most uh, innovative, uh, impactful, effective coaching qualification in the country, industry ready, um, experiential, backed up with all the science and the evidence stuff. Um, and just a brief word from them beforehand. SGS College is the home of Bristol's higher education sports programmes. The programmes are designed to develop unique, innovative and creative sports practitioners ready for industry. Do you want to be a coach or teacher of the future? Start your journey here at SGS College and become more than just a graduate. Visit sgscol.ac.uk to apply now. Cool, and we're off. Uh, live on the pod with Rusty is Brendan Purcell. How are you, mate? You well? Uh, mate, I'm very good. Enjoying uh, the lockdown, I suppose, summer holiday, if you want to call it that. Nice. Well, it looks summery. You're in your, in your uh, conservatory. In the back yep. garden, you've got your squat rack set up. Yeah, uh, exactly. It's all go. It's all go. Mate, it's, it's awesome to have you on. Um, obviously, aware of your work um, across multiple sports, and lots of people would say lots of nice stuff about you. Actually, you came up when... Uh, we asked Belly and uh, Elliot on the webinar, who should we get on the pod? And yours was the first name mentioned, so please don't disappoint. Uh, do you want to kind of share with people, like, what's got you to, to sitting in a, in a conservatory with a squat rack? Yeah, um, uh, yeah I suppose my background, uh, a kid growing up in Australia, loved sport and uh, got into paddling, uh, in particular, sprint kayaking and... Um, yeah, ended up as a coach in, the, in Australia in the Institute system uh, in early 2000 and then uh, had the opportunity to come over to the UK 2007 to work with British Canoeing and um, yeah, went through Beijing and London and then realised that actually while I love that one-to-one athlete coaching, I really, I suppose, enjoy the broader, uh, broader view of coaching the system and the people and creating the strategic direction. Uh, and then uh, went and worked with British Triathlon, performance director, and then um, opportunity to go back to a sport closer to canoeing um, with rowing came along in 2018, and I jumped into a, uh, a very, very big program, which is you know a sport that's been, I suppose, at the heart of a lot of British success over the years. So uh, a challenge and a privilege to be working with them now. Nice. Yeah, they definitely picked up some, well, they've picked up some medals. Let's yeah. uh, let's say that. And how's how's lockdown? What does lockdown look like in rowing? Because I think we might have chatted about it the other day. I mean, they've got ergos. What more do they need? Well, well, yeah, they've got ergos and they've got enough gym equipment. I mean, they're not like uh, rugby players who need to be you know lifting big big weights. They still need to be doing some heavy gym, but they've they've got ergos. They've got um, uh, they've got gym equipment, and they've also you know normally we would do a cycling camp, cross training camp with them during the winter period anyway. So they're used to doing cycling, a lot of them. And so, you know, they're just doing a combination of uh, ergo, their normal 16, 18 K ergo sessions uh, in the mix with a bit of cycling and uh, yeah, gym work as well. So that's what lockdown looks like for the athletes. You know, so in some ways they're able to do a fairly good level of work that correlates not too far uh, to their normal training load. They're just not in a boat working with a, with a crewmate or crewmates. Yeah, and we'll definitely talk about what the coaches are up to and what coaching and rowing looks like a little bit as well. Um, yeah, I mean, the ergo would be my least 
favourite piece of equipment in the gym as well. So um, if you could not mention it that often, that would be. Uh, I mean, what have you what have you noticed about rowing? So it would be a, uh, you know, it would be really high profile. Probably one of the blue ribbon kind of sports within English sports. Um, we would all be thinking Pinson, Redgrave, that type of stuff as well. Yeah, uh, look, um, uh, incredibly driven athletes, uh, hugely, obviously, huge aerobic, huge endurance, but incredibly loyal to the, the, the system and the sport itself. Um, they all you know, came through clubs, university, school, and they, they, they see yeah, Henley as the traditional sort of part of rowing. And even while their Olympic gold medals or their Olympic medals and their aspirations at Olympic level are huge, they have a real connection to the history of the sport, particularly in Britain. Um, and they, they're very loyal to that. And, and uh, yeah, just a great group, great group of athletes and people to work with. And some pretty famous coaches as well. So is it uh, Jürgen who was the... Yeah, yeah so Jürgen Grobler, uh, he's been now in the British system uh, for 30 or nearly 30 years. Um, he, he came, uh, 91, I think he arrived in the UK from former East Germany, uh, working with, uh, Redgrave and Pinsent to start with, uh, he's worked with those guys. He was coached of the men's four, um, over the last four Olympic games that won gold. So a guy with incredible amount of history. And I suppose what I would also say, uh, evolutionary capabilities like to, he's now 73 and to have been coaching in his first Olympic games in 1972. And he coached an Olympic medal there, and still be coaching now. It shows someone's ability to adapt and evolve, um, not only in the sporting context but in the societal context. You know, not just going from East Germany to Great Britain, but then going. You look at the change in British society since 1992 to, to 2020. I, I think that's an amazing skill set uh, or ability to, to to work with and, and witness. Nice. And so we've touched briefly there upon you know the rowers and certainly one of the coaches, and you said I'd get excited about the people. What, what is it that excites you? So what gets you out of bed every kind of day uh, around sport, coaching, rowing? Um, I, this, this is going to sound really uh, quite simple, but just people who want to be a little bit better today than they were yesterday. And, 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 and that's a very simple statement, but it takes a lot of energy and aspiration and commitment to keep doing that day on day, week on week, and then over one Olympic cycle or two Olympic cycles. And, you know, people who turn up into that space every day, trying to do that, challenging themselves when they're at the limits of their mental and physical, you know, sort of fatigue, you know, to me is, is humbling and, and it excites me and, and challenges me to be, well, how can I help them just create that, a, that opportunity to be a bit better. How can I create them and let them get on their journey of aspirations? What does that look like for you? So obviously modeling this type of stuff, what's the, what have you discovered about Brendan Purcell over the last kind of 12 months or so that's, you know, where have you kind of iterated even more? Uh, I think it's, it's generally around uh, headspace and how I accept um, I suppose a, a way of working that's been really successful and integrate that into my own thinking and how I can then relay that back to the group of people I'm working with now and trying to find or support them to find the answers to, you know, look at how they can improve themselves. So I think what, what that challenges me is that not to get stuck into, well, this is what worked for me in the past. I better do it again. I, the challenge for me every day is actually look, yeah, 
that's a basis to start from, but it can't be your endpoint and it can't be your position to defend yourself and say, no, this is what works, this is what we're going to do. It's, um, don't get that right every day, by the way. There are days where I have to take a look at myself in the mirror and say, no, you pushed back today and you weren't, you weren't able to take on board someone's opinion or perspective and really, and really reflect back to them how you could help them actually find a better path forward or find a better way forward. So that's the real challenge for me. And how's that been? Because, I mean, it would be a, you know, you said there's a rich tradition, there's a rich history, there's a, with due respect to you, you know, you didn't row in Henley, you didn't <laughs> row in the boat race, you haven't been to an uh, Olympics as a rower. What's the, do, do they see that as a, or do you see that as a strength? So actually um, I'm bringing a fresh perspective. Um, do people kind of look at you and go, this guy doesn't even look like a rower type stuff. What's going on? Yeah, I get a sore neck looking up all the time at the guys around me because I'm nowhere near as tall as them. But um, no, I see it as a, I see it as a strength because for two reasons. One, it doesn't mean I'm caught up in, in like I suppose what's just become the history of how they do things. So I'll ask the, the question of myself and of them. But I also think it's therefore I'm also not a threat to them. I'm not coming in as the, the former rowing coach of another program and saying this is what I would do. So people are then genuinely more open and willing to sit down and explore, well, you know, how can you help us do this? And, you know, uh, and I can also reference back, you know, I obviously worked, uh, you know, I've worked with some pretty successful athletes in canoeing, worked with some pretty successful athletes in, in triathlon. And people want to hear about that. And not to say that we replicate that, but just how you can use that, I suppose, difference and challenge to actually sort of like look at sort of make you sort of review your way of thinking and review actually the, the paradigm shift that you've got to make sometimes to really find success. Yeah, and I guess um, you can also play that naive card quite well and ask questions that, you know, and they can be thinking, oh, let's help out, let's help out that, that stupid fellow who's just joined us. Let's tell him, you know, what it might look like. Yeah, yeah, you can play that card, but eventually if you eventually start to figure out you're learning a lot on the spot. So they expect you to know some more than you're giving on. So, but yeah, that's definitely something, but it, 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 it creates, you know, and it's, it's a term that can have the wrong connotation, but it creates a safe space for that coach or that athlete to be a bit vulnerable and talk about, well, these are the challenges I'm facing. Whereas if they're sitting, that coach is sitting with someone who has a history of, you know, multiple success at a lot of Olympic games, they can often then get into a guarded space where they're not really expressing what's really concerning them or where, where they're missing the gap. And, and that just a, is something that I try and use to my advantage and help them in a way, you know, that you know, gives them that space to step into. What challenges have you kind of come across that you think are relatively not universal, but what themes are you discovering across, you know, a plethora of sports? Yeah, I, I think uh, the challenge for all all humans is to to sometimes step out of your comfort zone. You know what I mean? That's that that is probably the number one challenge. Uh, and but I think it's also looking at, um, you know, when I w first walked into triathlon, you know, people were really clear that this is what's important to us as a sport. And I think it's trying to understand what sport their sport means to them, and then use that as your opportunity to look at the shift. And I think that's where if you just come in and nearly dismiss the sport or dismiss the roots of the sport and what's important to them in the sport, that's where you're, you know, that's where you're going to find yourself in, in hot water. And um, yeah, I think that's the one thing I keep trying to tune into. What are the roots of the sport 
And how can I get people to connect that and help me connect with that? It was one of the first things I did to the role, with the rowers. I asked them, you know, what do I need to know? What's the most important thing for you as a young rower growing up? If I was a young rower growing up, what would I be aspiring to, to sort of like achieve? Or what would I be aspiring to, or who would I be aspiring to be like? To really understand what that is, is it was, a, it was a key thing. What did you, I mean, what did you discover in rowing? I would imagine you discover some reasonable role models. Yeah, I think uh, your, your big ones are the, are the, are the Pinstons and the Redgraves, you know, like, and as one of the rowers described it to me, you know, he can remember being a young, you know, a young lad and his parents watching and the Olympic Games and, and being excited and going over the top about Redgraves gold, you know, and then that was something he then looked and, 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 and aspired to. Um, I think, you know, other people also look at just how it brings them together with a group, with a crewmate and actually how you have to rely on people, you know. So one of the things that Alex Gregory talks about really passionately is that unlike in some other, you know, and I know it's not a pure team sport, but like in other team sports where you're not looking at your fellow teammate, you're looking at the back of his head and they're looking at the back of your head if you're in a bigger boat. And it's that total trust that you brings, that brings you together as a crew. And if you can find that synchronicity, that was something, you know, he admired watching those Olympic medal crews. And even with his, you know, his mates as a junior, that was something he really found sort of some real passion and real sort of success in. And that was something that kept him sustaining. And that was, that was the, that was the, the you know, for want of a better term, the drug he kept tra- chasing. That, that Olympic medal was only as good as it was going to be if that synchronicity, that trust, that loyalty in that group of people you know, that everyone was on it, the whole limit was, was really important. Yeah, it's an interesting one because I think I said to you, I'd, uh, I'd uh, almost had a job with British Rowing and I spoke to Sarah Winkless and she spoke about, and I'd never thought of it, that actually, like, your information is the back of the person in front of you. So yeah. I was like, okay, this is weird. Never thought of a sport where that's the situation. And then, <clears throat> and, and, and hopefully, and I quote this a lot, so... Apologies if it's wrong, but it's often not the four quickest people in the boat on an ergo. It's actually, you know, I might go in a boat with you, Brendan, and go, actually, I want to work harder for Brendan than Fletch. So I, if put me and Brendan together, even though my, you know, the ergo time is, is not, then that has impact on me. So which kind of got me thinking a bit about, uh, so where does that fit in coaching? So you know, you're clearly, how are you looking, are coaches looking at combinations? Are they looking at dynamics between other people? Because it would also appear to be a sport where you could go, well, look, this guy's really fucking powerful, really big, can pull the boat, or, or this girl, and actually this person has to be in the boat. So where does the dynamic stuff fit into it? Yeah, it, it's absolutely the core of those, of those really successful crews. It's, it's, a, it's, it's like anything, it's not an either or, it's a We've, we talk a little bit about, it's a bit like your amplifier on your um, stereo. You know, for some athletes, they might have the, the f- pure physicality and they mightn't be as great on the technical side of things and they might bring a little bit of the, the winning edge or the killer winner sort of mentality, whereas the next athlete might be lower on the, um, on the ergo physicality but absolutely technically is through the roof um, winner drive mentality the crew maker you know the you know, people talk about the you know the coaches often talk about we're looking at the leaders in the boat the crew maker the one who'll bring people together then the boat mover the one who has the skills to really move the boat and then the in the engine or the physicality and 
you know, if someone had all those attributes, they'd be, that'd be outstanding. But as, yeah, yeah, as you usually find out, people have a combination of them. And I suppose the gold dust and as, as would be in rugby, there's no magic formula, but the gold dust is coaches looking and trialing and, and understanding how they blend those people and what you did once might not necessarily work again. And you've got to go back so, um, and, and go through that. I think one of the fascinating pieces for me is that the, those, other, those other pieces, the leadership, the crew making, the boat moving, they're harder to define. You know what I mean? Like, you know, they're very, you know, you can come up with some metrics, but they're not absolute. Whereas an ergo, like if you can pull, you know, five minute 40, you know, for a 2K ergo for a man, that's, that's a huge, yeah, that's a brilliant score. But what I find, and so that's a real absolute. So the guys can measure themselves on that. I can look down the, the, the room and look at each other. But what I've found fascinating is that we do a series of ergo tests during the year to, to see people's progression. And it's, it's not necessarily, you know, this is the ranking, you know, most of B, he's one of our better. He's always up the top. It's actually where other people are shifting on their own levels. And when they do these ergo tests, and this is when we're looking at testing. So they're, their spots in different boats are on the line. They'll we'll do 10 ergos at a time and they'll all stand when they're not doing their test and cheering their mates on because they want to know whoever's in their boat has actually made a personal progression. They don't, even, if they're, even if they're 10 seconds and some of them there, the gap it can be 10 to 15 seconds in an ergo over a 2K, but that person who might be 10 seconds slower than me might bring something in the boat either from a technical skill delivery or from a leadership element that I need in the boat to help me. And I, I was, I've been blown away just the absolute passion and genuine like cheering of of people who could take off, take their, could potentially take their seat. They're there screaming at their mates. Um, and when you see it, when it comes to a 5k yoga test, which is around 16, 17 minutes, depending uh, on being, and they're falling off the ergos and vomiting and stuff, and they're just absolutely screaming at each other and cheering for them. It's, it's quite extraordinary because they know at the end that person who's etched out another couple of seconds off their best is someone they need in a boat with them. Yeah, I was thinking about, like, and the other thing for me, so the crew maker, I think that was the word you kind yeah. of used. I yeah. mean, when you're getting up to go rowing at 5 a.m., and by the way, I have rowed once. I rowed at uni. Uh, in the bumps, we, we 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 bumped three times and we rode over once, um, and it was the most emotional sporting experience I've ever had. Right. And I've only done it once. I didn't enjoy it because it was really hard. <laughs> <laughs> but it was like the, the the emotion of the situation was ridiculous, and I've I've never ever I can honestly say I've never ever replicated that on the sporting pitch. And it was with my mates, and it was exactly the stuff you're talking about. It was the connection, it was the which, yeah, I, I kind of find weird because I was then thinking about how I would coach rowing. And I would yeah. go, well, I quite like rugby, and you can see people and we can hang out. And, but actually, if I'm a coach and like they're on a boat and they're in the river and I'm over here, and then it's, uh, it's a bit of a different dynamic, I guess. So, are the coaches on the water? Are they on the side on the bike? That's what I imagine. Are they sometimes yeah. both? What does what's going on? So when we when we're at home in the UK, we train in Caversham, or the the senior team trains in Caversham, and that's on a towpath. So they're just on a bike down the down the um, yeah down the side of the lake, and that and and I suppose that's where the coaches are relying on those individuals in the boat who have those skills 
to nearly be their eyes and ears in the boat. Okay, they're obviously observing. They often either use megaphones or they have walkie-talkies, but they're still relying on self-correction, self-regulation within the crew, um, as well as giving a briefing, you know, pre and post and a debrief post. Uh, and I suppose, you know, that, 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 that's, it's a good way of coaching in that space. But then the coaches and athletes all appreciate when we can get on training camp because then we get onto lakes in Portugal, for argument's sake, we go there a fair bit to a different couple of different places. And you can get on the motorboat and you can be right alongside the crew. So you can really, as a coach, you get, you, you get the feel, you know, you feel like you're inside the boat. You can see the rhythm and the surge of the crew, how they're working together. You can see that a lot more or, or, and probably more importantly, feel it a lot more. And that just brings another connection, you know, that, you know, the athlete and coaches can reflect back on at the end of the session. And I think that's, a, that's where they make a nearly a step gain in those periods of time. Um, you know, the, um, the constraint of being able to, where we train is non-tidal, you know, or, or non-flowing. So we've got good water all year round at Cavisham, but you're restricted because you can't get a boat onto it because it's just not a big enough piece of water. You'd wash everyone out. So the ability to get out of that, you know, get out of that space and then add the extra layer of that coach connection in a training camp is a real positive. And I think it's something we need to use to our advantage. You know, what they're doing when they're in Cavisham how are the athletes driving that? And then how can the coach layer on top of that again and enable that to be even better as they move you know, into a training camp space? Yeah, I mean, there'll be some good kind of, <clears throat> you would want people to be peer-to-peer supporting and you yeah. know, helping each other get better. That's, you know, that automatically, I guess, kind of happens. And I guess it probably also challenges the coaches around their noticing skills. So I'm already thinking, if you put me on a bike at the side of a rugby pitch, would I be able to coach? You know, yeah. I, I might try it next time. Yeah. I'll just cycle round and round, go, no, 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 that's wrong, lads, that's wrong. Um, so I think what, one of the things I picked up early on when I came to uh, rowing is that there was a, a quite a large turnover after 2016 of the athlete cohort. So a lot of the experienced mm-hmm. athletes moved on um, a lot more than normal. Uh, normally you keep about a 50% sort of like rollover rate, you know, from cycle to cycle. This time it was roughly about 25% rollover, if you want to call it that. And, you know, one of the rowers was saying one of the things that was a challenge for the, for the athletes and the coaches in that first, first year or so was that they, because they'd lost all that experience, the, the guys and the athletes who knew that when they were on the, on the lake or in Cavisham in, in the UK in the winter, it was going to be harder for the coach to make those real you know, finite technical changes. So we required the athletes to take that on board. And because they'd lost some of that experience, it, you know, they lost a little bit of traction for a period of time there, you know, but it was something that, you know, one of the senior athletes had picked up and was like trying to encourage, you know, the younger athletes who may not have as much experience, but needed to be a leader to step up because they needed that to blend with the coaching on the side of the bank. Nice. Do you use mentors to some of the old uh, girls and boys who used to, uh, race do they come back and do they help support uh, the current uh, rowers yeah no we've actually set something up formally in the last um, uh, uh, eight months you know in the past it had been a bit ad hoc but we actually you know sort of it came in and saw actually this is really valuable and um, so we've set up eight of the previous uh, sort of like athletes who'd been on program around the 2012 period of time um, some of them have been 
you know, successful Olympians. Some of them, you know, haven't. Um, but yeah, they they definitely come in and uh, on a regular basis and just you know are another, I suppose, another perspective for the athletes rather than it just being the coach where the athlete can sit and talk through and and you know and and learn. Hey, I've got this week is a huge volume week. You know, the coach ain't going to let up on that. How do how do they navigate that? How do they support that and and bring that experience back in? And that's been really positive because obviously, as a mentor who's stepped out of the program, they know the program pretty well, uh, but they're not still in the crew room in competition for your seat. So again, you're going to be a little bit more able to be, you know, honest and vulnerable with that person and get some insight that you may not, if it's a crewmate who's trying to get one up on you, yeah, yeah. to make sure they stay ahead of you. you know? yeah, or a coach that's selecting. I think it's important yeah. just so you can have someone that helps you make, as you just described, just help yeah. you make sense of some stuff. Yeah, well, the coach, you know, even, even, even those coaches who are saying, look, I'm here to enable you to be your best there's still that dynamic that at the end of the day, the coach is going to make a call on me in that crew or et cetera. So there's only going to, you know, for, for, there's only going to be so much you'll be, want to be absolutely open about. So how much uh, co-creation goes on in rowing between kind of rower and coach co-creating programs, sessions? I would imagine it's quite low. So I'm going to set my stall out with you on that. Yeah. I imagine it's something you're exploring. I know we haven't spoken about it, but just triggered me really. You know, is that something that's... Yeah, that's, it's, it's definitely something that we're exploring. You know, I've, I've, I've brought in um, Jörg Gutz, uh, a coach developer, to help me, yeah. you know, again, with the coaches to explore how they may, you know, um, yeah, look at this. Um, you see it, I think the, the, the difficulty is, like you would see, if you've got a, an eight, eight, eight athletes in a boat, in an in a eight, you know, you're not going to be able to co-create everything together. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the thing I keep referencing is that your, your, your constructive feedback as an athlete will shape how the coach takes his thoughts moving forward. So, you know, don't be shy to be constructive. Don't be critic, you know, crit, just criticize, be, be constructive. The coach may not accept it on day one, but he may, if, you know, he will still think about it because he's wanting you to get the best out of yourself. So I think that's still something we can definitely evolve. I think this current, uh, you know, current world of COVID is absolutely challenging, you know, some of the coaches and how they are operating. Yeah, and actually, right. and there are definitely some of the conversations where, you know, they're only just in their infancy, but coaches are talking about, Hey, there are some things I'm doing differently here and how I connect with the athlete from an empathy point of view, how I'm relying on them to give me the shape of the program that works for them, that I need to work out how I take that forward into, you know, a normal training environment in the future. So it's definitely something I'm picking up with them uh, uh, over the next couple, couple of weeks to see how we can use that and, or help them to use that as they move forward. Yeah, it's interesting because Auckland Blues just went back in New Zealand and they whether or not they're doing it as a bluff, I don't know. They posted a video and it showed some of their fitness testing and they got something like 12 PBs and which was like, so people have been training at home and they got PBs. Now there's possibly an element of they were rested, but also there's also the potential that they were doing the stuff that was right for them. And lots of those players by that stage of their career would have good awareness of what helps yeah. them get the best out of themselves. So yeah. Yeah. And, and one of our focuses has been for the athlete group is, you know, normally at this time of a, you know, any competition year, let alone an Olympic year, you'd be in a boat, you know, with three other people, however many people, depending on the, and the primary, you know, the primary priority would be making that boat move 
and actually the individual sort of work-ons that you may need to do as an athlete to get your individual performance better in the future would be something that you put on hold until after the games. Yeah. So at the moment, because there's none of that driver around needing to be in a crew because they're, so, they're, they're in isolation, they're not in crews, they're just on their ergos at home, um, they're able to flex and adjust gym sessions. So if they're a bit more fatigued from a gym session, it's not going to impact on the water session the next morning where they're trying to get a timepiece. Whereas if you're trying to get a timepiece as a crew, you're then adjusting that gym. Well, we're going to drop you down a bit because we need you to deliver in the morning. Whereas now they're jumping on the ergo on their own. The only person that sort of, you know, if you want a better term, suffers is that individual. So, so people are upping loads in gym or stripping it back and doing different things. And, and we've seen the same. We've seen athletes, okay, they're on the ergo more often, but you know, they're, they're genuinely getting progression on their PBs on the ergo. But there's also an element of them actually working on the things that really matter to them because they've got the space to do that now. Yeah, no, nice. No. What would you? Uh, we're going to jump back into your previous stuff. What would you have taken to the other sports from rowing? So, what have you gone? Do you know what? This is a real super strength that rowing has that perhaps uh, try or um, or canoe would would benefit from. Yeah, I think I think the thing for me with um, uh, uh, or take back into canoeing from rowing, actually the coaching team and how they operated. How, or how they operate. Um, they definitely, you know, operate uh, more as a collective of coaches. So every night, you know, very simple, every night at training camp after dinner, coaches meet and just give a very general update about what they were doing today with their crews. So coaches go, oh, you're doing that. Oh, okay. You know, or, you know, they, there'll be a standard program, but they might have adapted a little bit for that particular crew. Um, and, and I suppose the reality of that is that the coaches feel like they, they're safe to do that because actually they're not competing, you know, because one of, the, you know, one of the things that is done is that you're all in this together, this group of athletes, you know, we're not sort of putting you out in one squad over here, one squad over here in competition with each other. We're all trying to achieve the best crew results we can collectively. Yeah. Um, and, and while, I, while I, I tried to probably do that in canoeing, Canoeing probably starts from a lot more of an individual basis, whereas rowing does start much more from a crew basis. But yeah. the, the reality of how they shape their, just their sharing of their coaching practice, um, it's something we can still improve, but it's definitely something I would take back into, into canoeing uh, for sure because it's something that, you know, my first, uh, first day in the job, I was actually at a World Cup. And, um, you know, that was the first day we're at the World Cup. And, you know, first day of racing, everyone after dinner sits down and just... You know, pretty informal. You know, often people have got a beer, but they just talk through. This is what the crew was trying to achieve. This is what they did. This is what we're working on tomorrow. And that was something always struggled to do with canoeing. So that definitely was something we'd take forward um, or take backwards, if if, if we'll put it that way, you know. Um, I'll give that feedback to Craig Morris. What, um, (laughs) do people coach cross boats? So do they go, actually, I normally coach the four, but I'm going to coach a bit of eight or... I'm going to go and do a school or does it become specialised? So, yeah, I think that's one of the things. At the, what it becomes is sweep and scull. So you, right. everyone starts the year in smaller boats. So in the sweep side in pairs and in the sculling side in the singles. So the coaches are working with people in the smaller boats and then after selection, people get into the different boats and then you'll, you might go from, you know, you might be coaching the eight or the four, depending on the makeup of individuals, what your skills are with that group and how that works or how that fits best. Um, I mean, some coaches do cross over from sweep to skull, but they often sort of find, they've, you know, they, 
they would, um, you know, they, they find where they're, I suppose, most passionate about and end up gravitating to that, that discipline of the sport. Nice. What, um, let's go, let's talk about canoe then. What's the, what's the stuff that you, you really valued from canoeing, uh, that, you know, you were proud of that would have, you know, got you excited in the morning that, um, that you've perhaps tried to keep hold of through to try through to, to rowing. Yeah. I I think it was working with some pretty, pretty talented athletes, but also pretty, um, yeah, pretty driven personalities who were clear on what they needed from the people around them to create the space for them to do what they needed to be at their best. Uh, you know, someone like, you know, Ed McKeever was uh, exceptional at that. And, you know, as the head coach and he had his sort of personal, you know, his personal coach was like, he'd sort of flagged to me, like, these are some of the things I'm trying to influence the coach on. And I'll be like, well, yeah, can I can I can I support that? And you go, leave it with me if I need your help. But this is what I need him to do. Right, that is cool. This is this is how I'm going to move forward. This is how what's going to work for me. And and I suppose it's that real. And this was someone who was successful. So it wasn't. So this was guy. Um, uh, I think he only lost in three years from 2010 to 2012. He only lost one race or two. You know what I mean? Like, and so it wasn't like this was. You know, we're talking about someone who's not at the back of the pack, who's making up the numbers. So it's not just all, I think I could do it better. This guy was clear on how he could do it better and could articulate it. But it was how they worked with the people around them, whether it was the coach, the physio, you know, and the head coach to say, look, this is what I need from you. You're part of my team, you know. Um, And that was, you know, uh, that was something I started to really, I suppose, identify in my last 12 months or or, or two years in, in canoeing and absolutely set me up well for my time in triathlon because, you want to look at some athletes who who actually you know uh nearly write you know oftentimes write their own program you know literally schedule their week it's that group of athletes but it's how you can find the the areas in their program or their environment to actually create more opportunities for, for improvement that was you've got to back them but you've got to got to get them to see that you can add value to them you know so it was a real clear sort of like how do i show them that how can i support them and give them backing recognizing that there are you know, in a positive way consequences if performance don't come we're going to have to step in but how can you find that balance and it's you know it's 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 a constant evaluation process constant iteration process of how you're doing that and it's different for each individual how did you um and and, and yeah i mean it's definitely reminded me of michael jordan in the last dance and i haven't got onto the episodes yet where everyone's talking about is he a bully but he's definitely driving some standards and influencing some coaches which i think would be relatively non-existent in rugby if i'm brutally honest uh, i think there might be a couple of players as they get to become really established seasoned yeah. nationals that are then given the opportunity to do that so i guess i've probably got two questions one is um how do you think you got to that stage and the other question because otherwise i'll forget it but i'll remember if i say this so when you moved in to try where you wouldn't have the kind of let's call it the expertise that you had in the rowing. How do you then stretch people so that aren't, you know, that aren't yeah. what you, yeah. you know, you're considered an expert in? Yeah, yeah. Um, so if I go back to the the first question around, you know, how did I, you know, how did I get to that sort of space or operating in, in, in canoeing? Um, I, I suppose I learnt the hard way. Um, I became head coach. Um, and as a head coach, uh, I, well, 
as a young coach, I'd always been sort of taught and the modeling was the head coach should know everything. The head coach should control everything. And the head coach should tell people how to do a shit job. Um, so, you know, as a, as a coach, you'd had some success with individual athletes. I stepped into that space and, you know, what I was doing is spending more time focusing on challenging coaches around the task or what I thought was the wrong task or the wrong intervention or stimulus. Uh, and instead hadn't focused enough on how I was creating the space for the person and the environment to actually look at how they could be more creative or, or, or look at things and actually the final bit that really was the kicker was I was putting the athletes in between me and that person. And, you know, and it was a couple of those athletes had me um, after a particular torrid training camp in Spain, where I was challenging the hell out of everyone. Cause I thought, you know, we were not, we were slipping our standards on task delivery and I would do it this way. And I'm the head coach. And, and, you know, Ed was one of the athletes who came to me and it, it was just a real, you know, really honest conversation saying, we understand what you're trying to do. We understand your frustrations. But at the moment, it's not working because you're getting more frustrated. It's putting us between you and the coach. And actually, the coach is getting more stubborn and not going to change at all. So what's the point of this all, Brendan? You know what I mean? Like, and I have to say, I didn't take it on board that day. I was pretty pissed off, you know, even though we did it in a good way. <laughs> you were in um, denial first. Yeah, I was in denial first. But it, it, it got to the point because I was like, I am, I'm absolutely, you know, my, you know, my wife said to me, you're so stressed. Yeah. You know, w- you know, without talking too too much out of turn, you know, I destroyed a laptop one day in a fit of rage, you know, over something, you know, like, cause someone hadn't done the task the way I wanted to. And it was only through some support through some cluey people that started to focus on, well, if I'm going to back these guys to get the task right, maybe I start with backing them first. And then I look at how I can help them as individuals or person and how I can create an environment. And I suppose the, the, and, and there's no, I can't give you a recipe of what I did every day. It was constantly working on where could I support, where was the right conversation or where was the right comment? When did I step back? When did I step in? But I suppose when I got to, uh, you know, sort of like the, the end of the two years later, the end of 2011, going into 2012 cycle and the athletes uh, just saying, you've done a good job because actually, you have influenced us and the coach to actually get on board with what you wanted us to do, but you've helped us get there by not just you know, hitting your head against us or banging on about us all the time. And, and coaches were starting to come to me, not in, I've got to come to Brendan because I have a problem. He's got to fix it. You know, as in your problem, Brendan, you sort it. They were coming to me and saying, Hey, we'd really like you to come down and help us see how we can tweak this performance or what can we do? And, and that was a, a pretty cool moment. It didn't happen all the time, but it got there. And, and, and yeah. I suppose that, that was where it sort of started to so shifting that perspective from just there's a task, I'm the head coach, I set it, everyone's got to stand up to that. Actually, I've got to back these people to be professionals. I've got to back them, but how can I help them actually explore what they could do better rather than just challenging them front on? Yeah, I'm going to come back to the stretch because I've written it down now and I remember it. But yeah, I think Suzanne Brown explained it to me like... Um, you want them to open the front door. You don't want to have to go in and break break in through the back door to get to the basement. Yeah. And, uh, I actually thought you were going to say that as one of the challenges at the start with the coach was the kind of levels of stress. And we've we've all had that metaphorical laptop moment that uh, <laughs> you, or several of those kind of ouch moments along the way. I guess 
Um, and maybe this is, you know, this might resonate or it might not. I mean, for me, it's all of this is just us finding out more about ourselves and you understanding what stresses you and what you're like when, you know, faced with this. And then, yeah, and then we can start to understand how we can connect better and influence with others. It, I wonder yeah, whether we have to, I wonder how many ouch moments we need. I wonder, it would be great if we could just start from that space. I'm always thinking that. Yeah, no, I, I agree, but I think I think it's not until you really hit adversity, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a, that you actually then really, and you're either supported or you're you're uh, smart enough or, or uh, self aware enough to actually work a way through. That's actually going to be robust and solid moving forward. That you actually get there. Too often, I think people get to that point, and someone either says, "Oh, don't worry about it, push on," or just you know, rather than going look yourself in the mirror. Do you want to live like this? Do you want people reacting to you like this? And actually, are you actually getting the most out of yourself? You know, and there are times where now I'll go, Hey guys, this is not working for me. You're getting about 60% of what you can get from me as a performance director. If we can shift how we all operate together, we're actually going to get more out of ourselves rather than actually protecting our egos and protecting the need to be right because that's the thing you find a lot of time with coaches that there's a need to protect being the right one or being in charge and that's yeah it's it's not not easy to go to that space but i'm I, you know i've i've learned i don't get it right but i've learned that i get to that if i don't if i let myself sink back into the space of trying to protect being right and not looking at actually person environment just focusing on task i then i then get pretty frustrated and uh, my family's a good my family's a good litmus test they'll say uh, no, no, this is not the way we work, we talk around here. This is not how we operate in this space. You know? I was going to mention, and I won't mention him, but it's a cool Peter, a guy uh, that I'm doing a bit of work with at the moment. He's asked his family to do a stop, start, continue, and that's a cool piece of work. I, it's um, it's pretty cool. I mean, who who? So you've definitely referenced your family. Who are the who are the sense makers around you? Do you have you know some people you would you would pick up the phone to, or you'd get to come and hang with you and who are you, who are your kind of mentors or guides? Yeah. So, uh, I've, I've been doing a bit of work, uh, over a period of time with Al Smith. Yeah. So Al Smith. So, uh, I mean, Al and I have known each other from my coaching days. So he's seen the journey I've been on. Um, and, uh, so he knows what I was like in that space <laughs> and, and, and where I am now. Uh, also doing a bit of work now with Peter Keane. So Peter Keane yep. used to be senior in UK sport, was like Chris Boardman's coach originally. So, you know, Peter's sort of seen it across the Olympic sport landscape. So, so and, uh, and Belly's another one, James Bell, you know, um, just to, to sense check, you know, am I, am I reading this right or am I, am I really seeing the other person's perspective or I'm just still trying to protect my perspective and my position? Nice, good shout out for Belly. He's a, he's a good man. You mentioned environment. I am going to go back to the stretch in a second. Yeah. You mentioned environment a lot. What's your, where are you at the, at the moment and you're thinking around what that word means? Um, to me, environment is, is, the, is the combination of, you know, how we you know, behave with each other and how we set the aspirations you know, and do we set them as an enabler or do we set them as a as sort of a constraint or a stick? You know what I mean? And, and you know, the word culture gets banded around all the time and I think that gets, it's, too, 
it's not the right word because it's more than just a set of words or phrases. It's how you can actually live with each other and bring the passion of sport to life in the training space or the training center. Um, And that's how I would look at it, you know, and it's really how we as the, the, the coaches and the staff, you know, bring ourselves to that work, how we bring ourselves into that space, how we interact with each other and how we interact with the athletes and how we set the aspirations uh, and the challenges that go alongside that, but set that in a way that actually people have the ownership to step into that space, but they know that they're doing it within a set of accountability as well. It's not just that you get away with one. You're taking on board a level of accountability for yourself, your own behaviours, to actually strive to do something extraordinary. Nice. Right, I'd, I'd, I'd take that. What, what did you learn when you moved to try? We're going to get to the stretch question in a second. What did you learn when you moved to triathlon? I suppose I, one of the big learnings I took when I stepped into triathlon was, again, you can, is understanding what are the key performance determinants of, of sport, you know? Um, and uh, as a young coach, you got caught up in the whole physiology piece, you know, like it's all getting the right program, the right scheduling. And that's really important. But ultimately, that just gets you to the party. It's that innate belief and understanding of what you, how you deliver performance as an athlete that's really important. And when I worked in to try, uh, I walked in and everyone's talking about the physiology. And because I wasn't a try coach, I couldn't say that's wrong, that's right. But yeah, no doubt, you need extraordinary aerobic physiology to be able to do a two hour event, which is pretty much a two hour sprint. You know what I mean? Like the men are getting off the bike and running, you know, a 30 minute 10 K, you know, like that's, that's, that's bloody fast, you know, <laughs> after having to swim 1500 meters and ridden 40 K. But what became apparent pretty quickly and it was like, actually all these guys are, you know, yeah, the top level guys, their, their physiology can't be that demonstrably different, but what's, you know, in talking to the head coach, what's determining, the performance outcomes and it came down to actually it's a decision making sport actually it's being able to make the right decision at the right time to dictate to the race yeah. now you need the level of physiology to be able to do that to be able to do that but actually you know that should have been the given what we you know and so we then you know as a, as an, a group started talking about how can we set up more decision making scenarios for younger athletes in training because actually it was no good getting them the physiology and they got to that point and they didn't know how to make decisions, you know, and also giving them authority to make decisions. And we started talking about uh, developing people as leaders because we wanted people to lead what they were doing because leaders have to have information and understand the context to make decisions. Um, And that was a big sort of like, you know, I walked in there thinking physiology, physiology, and that's literally just the, you know, that's just the, the car, you know, that's the invite that gets you to the party. The, the guy who wins the prize at, the, at the, the party is the guy who's got, you know, the decision-making skills and the wherewithal and how to use them. Yeah, and I guess also at a younger age, so it'd be interesting. I mean, what, you know, swimming, uh, triathlon, they're pretty time-consuming, um, energy-consuming. Yeah. Events can be quite, uh, I'm not going to say boring, but I am going to say, you know, if, so actually perhaps... I think I remember coming to you guys and even speaking about stuff like, could you do a, could it be done through an orienteering or could you start from the same start point and go out or, but trying to find ways that make it possibly more engaging to some people who might not, I mean, same with rowing, like, 
I would have the perfect physiology to be a rower back in the day, but oh my days. I wouldn't have had the, maybe I didn't have the mindset, but it just didn't seem that exciting for me. No, and I think, and, and, but I think that then takes a certain, I look at the rowers and I'm in awe, you know, so Caversham is a 2,000 metre lake. You do an 18K session, session that's just nine laps, you know, yeah. nine lengths up and down. And, you know, you're out there depending on which boat you're in, you know, from an hour, you know, an hour and a half to sort of nearly two hours, you know, single to a bigger boat. And it's just one stroke after another. And they just, there's an, you've got to be a person, the way I look at it, you've got to be a person who's really comfortable with an internal dialogue. Whereas, yeah. you know, you might have had the physiology, but, you know, I look at someone, you know, people, other people then thrive off the external dialogue of a rugby match or a rugby intervention where it's stop, start, you know, whereas these guys just find that rhythm and they just love that and they just crave it. Whereas I'm a bit like you, I'm like, oh, I, when I was a paddler, you know, I tried to make sure every, I did the shortest event possible because <laughs> the longer paddles just, I just did my head in. I just didn't, yeah. But there's something in around comfortable in the internal dialogue. And I mean this finding pleasure in the, the monotonous rhythm of that, that work, just that monotonous rhythm. Whereas, you know, other sports are about the, the change up and the disruption of that rhythm that people find, you know, passion in. Yeah, two things it reminded me of. One was, I think it was a, Pinsett and Redgrave documentary and they were on the Ergo and they were, I think their, their mantra was, once it goes black, one more stroke. <laughs> I'm, yeah. thinking, I'm not even getting close to black. And then mm-hmm. the other one was, uh, Dean Mason was the Semper Camps with us and Dean said, I could pull my hamstring running if you wanted me to. And I was like, I don't really want you to, but once again, I'm pretty amazed you can do that. Because... <laughs> You found out something that I'm not sure I would want to find out about myself. Uh, and so in that role, you were, you were more PD, I guess, as well. And so what? Yeah. So we mentioned stretch, and, and now I guess for me it's like, I guess it's one of the, you know, it'd be one of the main things that Pathways do. How, what would be the kind of, how did you find yourself stretching either the, the athletes or the coaches as someone who's a, you know, a naive expert? Yeah, I think I think the first thing was with 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 triathlon, I had to earn the respect that I was, I, you know, the the respect of the athletes and coaches that I was going to be. As I mentioned this earlier, true to their sport, you know, there was a real, uh, I suppose, suspicion when I walked in there that here's someone who's going to come in and try and model this sport in a fashion that's just going to be the way that's just going to produce an outcome for UK sport funding rather than produce performances that are true to the individuals that will generate funding you know um so i walked in there um and uh or even before i started my first meeting with uh, uh alistair brownlee and his brother was in a cafe in leeds and um i started chatting with them and introducing myself and johnny loves sports so we talked rugby league rugby union cricket and all this and for 20 minutes alistair said nothing and then alistair just said uh i don't need you I can do this on my own. I can employ my own coach. I can employ my own physio, you know, because he's making money on the circuit. I don't need you. The only thing I need you for is you control the access to Team GB to go to the games. Um, and I'm sitting there going, now there's a challenge. He's a guy <laughs> yeah. already. He just said, and I actually walked out of there on a high, but it really showed, you know, the challenge was how was I going to evidence to him that I could understand and his sport and what his needs were 
but also then it became pretty clear I needed to understand what was you know, the roots of this sport. And it was in these people who just want to explore the limits of their endurance and find out how far they can actually go. So it was then trying to like understand language and, and, and use that in a way to stretch them as me. You know what I mean? How, how can we do that together? Um, and how is that going to enable you to perform at an even higher level? Um, yeah, and it was, uh, it, was a, it was a challenge to start with, but I think because I was able to uh, reflect back to the coaches or the athletes the needs of what they needed to stay true to the sport and true to performance, um, it, it, it helped me to actually be able to start stretching them. But that was a, that was a big challenge to start with. That was a stretch, you know, because I was, you know, a fat middleweight, a fat middle-aged man um, who you know doesn't really like endurance sport. You know, as in not endurance sport from the point of view of watching it, but wanting to do it. So trying to get into their mindset and understand was an absolute you know stretch. But or, or, you know, I can say again is that if you connect to people about what they what they're, what's true to the core of their sport, what's true to their passion and delivering performance, you can start to actually reflect that language back to them and actually interpret what you're seeing and give it back to them in the language that they resonate with rather than it hitting a jarring note straight away. And that's not always easy, but that, that's the challenge of the stretch for me. Yeah, that's good. Good. Some good tips there around listening and using their language. Um, if only they'd seen you now, now you're squatting, they might have believed that it was... Uh... Yeah. Well, unfortunately, when they do squats, it's all, <laughs> it's all high rep stuff. You know what I mean? Like definitely spending... Um, definitely spending... Um, you know, four years in um, in uh, in triathlon, there wasn't a lot of big weights being thrown around in the weight room. Put it that way. Whereas you get back into the rowing gym and they're you know, they're doing you know, heavy squats, heavy deadlifts. So yeah, feel a bit more comfortable with that. I'm just curious. And again, so I mean, you triggered me that I watch. I don't know if you've seen the movie Iron Cowboy about the guy who does the 50 Ironman, right. 50 days in 50 states. And as you said, you know, they're kind of exploring the limits of of their mind, really, if I'm on it. Um, did they have psychologists? Would that be a big part in any of the sports you've been involved in? Or are, are you just encountering some people that are relatively superhuman? So I think, I think, I think that's, a really, <laughs> that's a really good question because, you know, when I moved into psychology, I moved into triathlon, like psychology was a dirty word, um, you know, yeah. and actually it was seen as a weakness. If you, if you needed a psychologist, it should be internal. You should have it. And actually, I would actually suggest actually the really driven athletes are already there. And actually, do they need a psychologist? And there's a question actually if, if they need the psychologist, uh, you know, have they got all the armory they need? I suppose where I see psychology was really important for us and try in particular and now in rowing is helping coaches be more able to adjust and adapt and flex to the athletes in front of them and not be stuck with a one-size-fits-all approach. Because if you've got this absolutely driven athlete in front of you, they're not going to respond to every sort of intervention you put in place or every question you put to them in the same way. And psychology helps the coach and athlete find that space again around the environment of where they can really sort of create some magic. And I think where psychology for me has been given a, a bum steer, you know, in, in particularly in some of the performance programs over the years was, oh, uh, we put a psychologist in place, our athlete, go speak to the psychologist because you're deficient in this, this and this, rather than actually how can psychology help you and the coach understand where you push, where you pull back, you know, how does the coach flex their style, how does the system adapt to athletes with multiple perspectives on how they bring the best out of themselves 
And I think that's where psychology can help us moving forward rather than actually you know, go away. And goal setting is important, but that's the fundamental skills you're learning in the pathway. And if the athletes are at that high level of performance and we're talking in the Olympic team level, hopefully they've got those skills. And if they don't, or if they do, they just need a top up. Actually, the psychology should be focusing more on how the system can enable the individuals to thrive then in the team environment or an individual environment. You've definitely been spending lots of time with James Bell and I would endorse everything that you and he think on this subject. Um, you referenced the UK sports stuff and the Olympic stuff. I mean, it's a question I think Elliot asked me to talk about and probably brought to life the other day. I think uh, a lot of people have been talking about, I've seen the clip on Twitter of, uh, of Michael Jordan, you know, there's a cost to winning. Um, there's a, you know, there's a price on, on winning. I mean, What's been your experience of that? Um, yeah, where, where does that, where does, I mean, what does that make you think about? Yeah, look, look there's no doubt to actually achieve, you know, to achieve something extraordinary like an Olympic gold medal, you're going to have to make some clear choices around, this is some, a part of my life I'm not going to engage with. I'm going to put that on the, on hold or, you know, and I'm going to be driven about this one thing. And, and I think what we need to do a better job of is that, and there's always going to be a cost. It's a cost as coaches, we spend less time with our families. But I, I come away and come back from my job actually a bit fulfilled because it's, it's, it's fulfilling a need in me. So I, it's helping people recognise the need that sports or that passion or that aspirational achievement is driving and how you can use that to actually help, you know, be a little bit better, you know, maybe when you're in your space at home, you know, because you do need that. Um, and that's, I, I don't think, it, you know, it's, it's, it's very difficult just to boil down, okay, what, what is the cost worth? I, I can't describe it. I think it's a, a tricky one. But actually, for me, I've had to, to get better in my job. I've had to recognise that I'm going to have to actually, there is a cost. I'm not around my family as much. But actually, the flip side is, it's actually made me, me, me be more at peace at home and actually be more effective at home rather than actually stressing about, oh, the cost is too much. You know, I was told early on, if you want to do this job, you're just going to have to set this is the job you're doing, but use it to bring something back into your family life that could be something that you would never get if you're a banker, nine to five. You know, and that's, that was something, a lesson that, you know, I constantly bring myself back to. Um, and, and I think for me, uh, yeah, Michael Jordan is the topic at the moment. It's really interesting. And, and there'll be those extreme characters and... Um, but in the athletes I speak to in rowing, they talk a lot about more than medals. Like the medals are so much more important when it was about more than just that final performance. You know, and as someone said, the medal lasts for three seconds. You cross the line, it's there, it's done. And it's everything you've taken to get to that point that actually makes it meaningful. And it's what you can do, you, how you can use that to help, you know, shape your life, you know, moving forward. Now, we're not going to get that perfectly right and people are going to see it differently, but it's different, definitely, you know, you speak to the athletes in reflection four years past their retirement date, you know, eight years past their retirement, you know, when they finished and they're definitely starting to explore that. And I think the more we can as a system help athletes explore that while recognizing they're going to, there's going to be a cost on the way because they're going to not live their life. You know, I mean, one of the things I've tried to talk to the athletes about, particularly in rowing is that, um, and it's, it may be a bit harsh, but it's like, don't talk about a sacrifice. Yeah, yeah it's choice. a choice to be here. And actually the people making the sacrifice are your partners or your, 
parents or you, you, they're making the sacrifice. So actually make sure this means something for them and for you. Um, and, and that's starting to resonate a bit because if you come to me and say, oh, this is really tough. I've, I've got to give up this or give up that. Well, no, you're not giving it up. You're making a choice, you know, and, and because you can't do everything. So you've just got to be really clear, really self-aware about what you're deciding to make a decision on. What are, the, what, are the, what are the pros and cons? And I think that's the conversation we need to have more often. Oftentimes that's a conversation that gets happened, sort of gets brushed over and missed and someone tries to have it, you know, post the career or at the end of the career. And that's, that's not the time to have it. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. And, and I guess um, kind of the last thing for me to explore, you, you would have experienced all of this because your son was in a, in a rugby academy for a period of time. So... What were your experiences of being a kind of a, a taxi service is how I would often describe it for, uh, for your son. What was that like? Um, look, I think it was actually, I recommend it for people in my position to have a child in like in a performance system or a talent system. So um, I, think it's, I think it's really interesting to watch a young, you know, a young person have these aspirations, and then as they realise they may not be be able to fulfil them, how they can be recalibrated and how they can find the next path forward. Um, and uh, this is no one's, you know, no, no one's fault. I mean, he, he fell out of love with the sport. He, he finished his last game for Tigers was uh, uh, the uh, year they won the Premiership uh, uh, Academy in, in eighteen. You know, yeah. uh, twenty uh, eighteen, and then. Yeah, he sort of, you know, he felt like he'd failed and, you know, and I was sort of, as a father, it's, it's really hard. I know the academy did a great job of trying to get the comms right about this is just an exploration phase, but it's really hard when you've got a 16-year-old saying, hang on, I want to be like, you know, Lewis Moody or I want to be like, you know, David Pocock. You know, it's really hard for them to get that, um, you know, to, to understand that comms and I haven't got an answer yet, but it's something I challenge our pathway about how we're trying to provide the clarity on this is exploring yourself as an individual and actually it may lead to an Olympic aspiration. It may just lead to you being better at your timekeeping so you end up being the best, you know, the best sort of businessman you could ever be or whatever. But it's, it was an interesting being on the other side um, and then also seeing, I suppose, some of the other parents not maybe understand always the comms that were coming through. Yeah. Um, yeah, and... and and it's, and it's hard when it's your own child. You get it. You, you can get like, a bit blind. Did you feel like stepping in? Did you? Was there any moments where you were having that going through your head, or were you? Uh... I, I suppose I, I got to know two of the key people pretty well: um, uh, Jamie Taylor and uh, Dave Wilkes. And you know, so we we would have chats, and because they knew my role, I think they felt a lot more relaxed talking about some of this stuff. You know, yeah, um, yeah. I, I suppose the one one reflection I would have is that, and just generally, you know. The academy system is placed, you know, in rugby at 16 to 18. And the more and more I think about this, you know, we need to look at the athletes in the rowing pathway. You know, you're talking about young men in particular. They're just trying to find their identity. And uh, that's, that's a hard balance. I'm not saying it, I'm not, it's a hard balance to get right. And, and how, again, and at the time when he first started, I was, I was with triathlon. And, and in triathlon, I really started to tune into how do you engage with the individual in a way that's going to, engage them effectively and then help them to sort of like then sort of come into some alignment by engaging them first and then sort of creating some coherence around a program. And what I was seeing is that, you know, there was, 
you know, it was hard for the coaches to try and actually tune into that this, this young kid was going to be the bullish swagger, whatever, and that's just who he is. And this young kid might be the one who needs the arm around the shoulder. Neither is a predetermined on success because everyone, once they cross that white line or the gun goes, can bring something different to the page. And I suppose that was the reflection I had is how do you get that right when you've got young men um, you know, definitely sort of challenging. And, and our, our son, actually, he, he, um, he lived with a house parent during that two years during the week down in Leicester, you know, because we live in Nottingham. And you know, we didn't realise the challenge that you know, he found that really challenging because he was so driven to be engaged in that academy. You know, he, he found it really difficult, you know, at times and, and found it quite hard being away from home. And, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's something, that's an that's experience you've got to go through at some stage as an individual. But, you know, when he sort of felt his career was on the line, that was definitely something around how you can support the individual and understand the individual. I think it's something important for all of us in the sports system to get right. Yeah, I know. I would agree with you and my son's PDG in Bristol and it would be exactly the same. Like, do they know him as an individual? I would think the answer is yes, 100%. I think it's probably their super strength, if I'm honest. Uh, are they going through that 15, 16-year-old peers type stuff and yeah. all this other stuff going on and could it be a confusing time and do we need to cut them some slack at times? Yeah, I think it's interesting and... Yeah, I think if rugby had started again, it would probably make selections a little bit later, um, a bit like universities, you know, like lots of yeah. the running stuff would be kind of yeah. based around some university type age stuff. Yeah. Um, what was the best thing about their academy? We've got to give a positive for Jamie Taylor, otherwise he's going to, you know, <laughs> what was your favourite moments? Uh, I think what, was, what I found really good with the academy was actually, you know, uh, with the Tigers, like, you know, they were training in the gym, particularly the, the, the boys based at WQE. They were training in the gym, you know, with the first team boys, you know, and, and, and that's important, that's special, that aspiration to, you know, to feel connected to, you know, and, you know, um, you know it, when Cockers was there, he would talk to the boys, um, you know, and a couple of times, you know, my, you know, my son referenced that, you know, so yeah, that's that, was, that, that, that was pretty special because I think one of the things I definitely connected with in tries because we base the triathletes in university programs, they're connecting with the young kids. And so in the swimming pool, the Olympic gold medalist is in one lane and the other lane is just the kid just trying to do the sport. And, um, you know, that, that young kid, like I said, may not go on to be an Olympic medalist, but he's had a pretty extraordinary experience seeing how an Olympic champion does it. So I think, I think that was pretty special and something that I think you know, would be, what I, what, I, what I thought was great. Yeah, my daughter does synchro, which is really random. Um, and there's two things I think she loves about it. One is that she can do land training where it looks like they do dancing and it looks fun. And the second thing is that they train in the same swimming pool as the girls that are going to the Olympics. Yeah. So they're 10 yards away from them. I yeah. mean, you get to see heroes. You get to, you yeah. know, get to chat to them. You, you know, that's pretty inspirational stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah, and, and for the right and for the right person who has all the attributes required, the DNA, the belief set, you know, that close contact will actually be an inspiration that will drive them on even more. And that's you know, to me, the inspiration in sport comes from, you know, getting close to it and really seeing the passion and the drive and you know, and determination rather than just seeing it on the screen. Yeah, I agree, and it's and they don't get it from the 
45-year-old man from Middlesbrough who's coaching them. <laughs> yeah. rarely, they rarely get it from them. Look, mate, it's been, it's been awesome. I'm going to do a couple of one-worders. So I'm just curious, you give me, you go one-word answers for each of these. Okay. Uh, canoeing. Oh, Australia. <laughs> Triathlon. Alistair Brownlee. Oh, that's ruined one of my later ones. Uh, <laughs> uh, rowing. Rowing. Driven people. Uh, the Brownleys. Extraordinary. <laughs> yeah, they are, aren't they? Fletch said it must be weird because isn't there like a Brownlee centre? It must be weird if you're the coach coaching your athlete in a centre named after your athlete. Yes, yeah, yeah. That, the Brownlee centre was named in, in 2017. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that must be awkward. Um, Pinsent and Redgrave. Legends. Uh, rugby. Exciting. Uh, coaching. Passionate. Mate, it's been a pleasure. I've written loads of notes, which is always a good sign. That uh, means I've learned some stuff as well. Uh, if people are, are you, are you a Twitterati? Are you on? The, are you on Twitter? Can people find you? Oh, mate, seriously. Yeah. Cool. If, if people want to reach out and get in touch with you, any any way they can contact you? Um. Yeah, I'm happy. Um. You've got my uh, LinkedIn. Cool. LinkedIn, mate. You are a, a man of a certain age. Well done. Well, no, I, so I don't even use that that much, actually, Rusty. I'm happy, actually, to give, uh, I'm happy to give my personal email address. Cool. So, uh, yeah. I'll put it. We'll, we'll tag it onto the thing, or if anyone wants to get in touch with you, they can touch base with me. So, yeah. Okay. That's pretty cool, yeah. mate. Uh, mate, it's been a pleasure. Have no, an awesome day. Enjoy those squats. And we'll speak. Okay, I will. Okay. Thanks, Rusty. See ya.